we had touched on it just a moment last week was the the marriage supper of the lamb and that's what we're talking about this morning is the marriage revelation chapter 19 so go with me to revelation chapter 19 and what's interesting when you get there to revelation 19 there's there's some things about the marriage supper that help me understand some mysteries that I find in the Gospel of Matthew. So when you find Revelation chapter 19, I want you to flip back to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 22. So Matthew chapter 22, and then we're going to look at another verse in Matthew chapter 24. But go back, holding your finger at at Revelation 19, and go back to Matthew chapter 22. While you're going to Matthew 22, I do want to thank the men. We had a kind of a, a mini work day yesterday. Uh, well, there wasn't anything mini about what we did, but we uh, did some yard work out, out in the front, and I appreciate the men who showed up early. Uh, some of them got here before 6 o'clock yesterday morning, and, and we did a lot of work by 9 or 10 o'clock, so I appreciate what, they, what they've done to help the looks of the church on the outside. What's interesting to me is there's several mysteries of Scripture when I, when I read them, and, and it's not that I don't understand them, but when you take in the context of the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, yeah, I understand it more by knowing what's going to happen with Christ as the bridegroom, and that's, it describes Christ as the bridegroom and the church as his bride, and in Revelation chapter 19 we have this supper that we all the saints are gathered at and we celebrate our salvation with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it appears, when you're reading it, and we'll read it in a minute, that we're going to do that right before Jesus comes back at the Battle of Armageddon. And there's a reason why we do it right at supper time. Why the supper happens before we come back with Him. Because the Bible says when we come back with Him, He's going to conquer the enemies, right? He's going to say the word, and they're going to be absolutely annihilated. And then he's going to establish a kingdom, right? Right? And then the Bible says we will reign with him, right? Where we're go- I think the supper is going to, where we're going to sit at the supper table, so to speak, is indicative of where we're going to be serving when Jesus returns. It's just a thought of mine. But here's a question people ask Jesus. I'm in Matthew chapter 22. The Sadducees came to him, and of course the Sadducees, you love to say about the Sadducees, the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is what? They're sad because they don't believe in resurrection. So they're sad, you see. Anyway, so you can use that. That's a clean joke, right? So it says that I'm, I'm in verse, if you don't mind, I'm going to flip up to verse 23. So this is one of those little mystery statements. It says the same day the Sadducees came to Jesus who say there is no resurrection, and they ask the question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, and then he says, you know, each one died. And so the question is, whose wife is she going to be in heaven, right? He's, they're trying to mock the resurrection in heaven. So of the seven, whose wife will she be? I'm at verse 29. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, the folks, here's 
a lot of people don't understand this. For in the resurrection, and we're, we're, just, we're going to read about this resurrection. When we, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us are alive and remain, we call them the Lord in the air, and we spend that time with Christ in those seven years of perfecting the bride and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look what he says. For in the resurrection, there is neither Mary nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. So there will be no marriage in heaven. Now, before you get all freaked out about that, here's the truth. You with me? Marriage meets a need that man has because we're sinners. Read the book. Adam was alone. He needed a helper suitable for him, right? So God made Eve and brought him to the man. You can read the New Testament. It describes marriage. and We, we need the intimacy. We need the fellowship. We, we need the help. Men need the help. Women need the leadership. But in heaven, it's going to be perfected, right? So the very cause of marriage, there won't be a need for marriage when we get to heaven. That's what the Sadducees did not understand. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And besides that, I'm married to Christ, right? We are the bride of Christ. Everybody who's ever been saved by the cross are the bride of Christ. I need not be married to Diane when I get there because Christ is my bridegroom. He's the one that saved me from my sins. Amen? So that's the intimacy we look for. All those needs are going to be met in my resurrected, glorified body. I won't have those temporal needs any longer. Now go to Matthew chapter 25. No, Matthew 24. Let's, let's look at Matthew 24. Here, here, now this verse has always troubled me. Okay, I, And I'm not saying I have the perfect answer, but in studying, and this is why you study, you study the Bible every day or when you can, you, you, and you learn things and you, it helps you understand the Scriptures and but I'm, let's just, let me just read the verse to save the time. But look at verse 36. This is Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, talking about the return of Christ. And for us, the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, is the rapture, is, is the catching away of the saints, because that's what he does for the bride. I mean, it's clear in Scripture. We're going to get to it in a minute, but... Um, Remember we showed a movie here. I meant to bring a copy of it in here with me. It's sitting on my desk. Um, it's called Before the Wrath. Remember we showed that? On, I think it was on Wednesday night. Somebody shake their head. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. It was called Before the Wrath. And the whole, it's a kind of a Bible study and drama at the same time. It's incredible, the quality of it. But the whole point is Before the Wrath. Is that before God pours out His wrath, He's going to do something with the bride. He's going to take the bride out. And historically, you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's what he does. He removes the saints before the judgment. And, and, and you kind of begin that with Enoch. You, you see the wickedness. And, and so, but anyway, so the, here in verse 36, it says, so but, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows... Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
And then he goes into that interesting verse, for as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, which is a profound verse. But verse 36 is what I want you to think about. How is that possible? Now remember, Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Godhead. He added humanity, right? He, he added, that was the condescension of God in Philippians 2, the, the kenosis passage. He emptied himself. He added humanity, okay? But I've always struggled with how come Christ doesn't know, right? Because he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, right? And all authority has been given to him. I, here's what I studied this week, and, and it makes sense. In a, in a marriage relationship, right? In, in, in when, the, when the husband, and we're going to get to it in a minute, they, when a couple gets engaged, well, let's say Mary and Joseph, they have been betrothed. Really, it's an engagement. Literally, they're married legally. They just haven't consummated it. And that's why her being pregnant was such an issue, Mary and Joseph. Well, when, when, you, when you think about him going away, once you got engaged, the, the, the groom would go back to his father's house and normally they would add on to their father's house. Does that sound familiar to you? Huh? Kind of like Matt, uh, uh, John 14, I go, let not charge me trouble, believe in God, but I go away, prayer place for you. So they would go to their father's house and add on rooms or room for their bride. But according to Jewish history and tradition, the person that decided when the husband came back for the bride was not the husband or the bridegroom. It was the father of the groom. He would send his son back. He would know when he was ready. And he would say, go get your bride. So speaking in the sense of that great theology, that's, that may be what we're talking about here. That Christ as the bridegroom, is it's not that he doesn't know and can't know, but as the bridegroom, he submits to the Father, and the Father will tell him, I like that, that's a good answer for me. Now, one of the things I want you to think about, how profound marriage is in the passage. If you go to Matthew 25, now remember 20, Matthew 25, Matthew 24 and 25 are Jesus speaking about the end of days. If you get to Matthew 25, this is where he tells the parable of the ten virgins not being ready for the bridegroom. Five of them are prepared. They have oil in their lamp. And we even have songs we sing about this to the children. But So five of them are ready and five of them are not. And then it says, if you're looking at, at verse 6, but at midnight, you know, at an unexpected time, and the bridegroom comes back. And so those that didn't have oil, that because he delayed, they were goofing off and not didn't have getting get ready, they were left out. And folks, that's a great witness. So folks, those of us that know Christ, the Spirit of God's in us, we have, we have oil in our lamp. We're ready. But there are those that are playing and playing around with salvation. They've never really been born again. Jesus is coming, and there's not going to be a chance to make a decision then. You're going to be left behind and have to go through the tribulation. But anyway, so those things interest me. When, but the marriage supper of the Lamb answers those things. Now go to Revelation 19. So, I tell you what, hold you. I like using your finger. I got a I got a ribbon in my Bible. Let me let me show you something else about 
Go, go to Romans. Just go to Romans 1 real quick. This also kind of, now this isn't about marriage necessarily, but it is about the consequences of not being saved. Hey, didn't you, if you were listening to what Robbie read, I had him read that for a reason because there's some a marriage promise in 1 Peter 1. But 1 Peter 1, 8, I'm in, I want you to go to Romans 1, but let me quote 1 Peter 1, 8. This was going to be the verse I read to you if church would have been normal, but since I had to lead music, nothing's normal when I do music. <laughs> 1 Peter 1, 8 says, Though you have not seen Him. And folks, I want you to think about it. People claim to have met the risen Christ and you know God appears to them and Jesus appears to them and I always make fun of them. They appear, he appears to them in an Oreo cookie or, you know, what or fig Newton. They see the face of Jesus in a fig Newton. The Bible says, though you have not seen him, and I haven't, I've never seen Christ. Now I've met him. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 8, though you have never seen him, you love him. Amen? And then he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Amen? Isn't that an awesome verse? Well, what happens to those that don't believe in this? We're, they don't believe that Christ came, that Christ is going to return. What happens to these people? Well, I just want you to see a couple of verses. Romans 1, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but look at verse 18. I love it. When, I, I like I did this in Sunday school today. I, I love to take out just little snippets. Not that I want to take something out of context, but I just want to pull part of a verse out and want you to think about what he says. Rome, Romans 1, 18, first part of the verse says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Folks, you know where the standard is? The standard's not on this earth. The standard is the exalted Christ. That's where the wrath is going to come from. Now look at chapter 2. This is one of my faith. Look at verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches and the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's, of God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath, not for your family, right? Not for somebody else down the pew, not for a long-lost relative, not purgatory, but you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be, will be, will be revealed. Now, folks, let me remind you that His righteous judgments are going to be revealed. That's what the tribulation is all about. He is pouring out His wrath. And so this verse is reminding us that we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment by rejecting the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me show you one other little thing he says here. Go to chapter 3. If you don't mind, I'm going to pick up at verse 1. This is just a great theological statement. But he says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, Paul says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some of what if some were unfaithful? The Jews were unfaithful. They even though they had God's word, that's the point. 
Does this faithless does this faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. And this is true of you and me. It, if you're here today and you're judging Christ on my hypocrisy, if you're here today and you're judging the lordship of Christ on somebody else's hypocrisy, or some fruitcake you've seen on TV, or some story you've heard about some pastor that ran around on his wife, and so you're justifying not being saved because of that hypocrisy, this is what the Bible says, let God be true and every man's a liar. God's going to hold us accountable to what's in this book. We're going to be held accountable by the, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And without salvation, He is going to pour out His wrath. And without salvation, lost people to this day are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Folks, that is a long time. People that died without Christ a thousand years ago are in the grave, but they're still storing up more wrath. It's never going to go away. But that's not true for me and you, is it? Because we've been married to Christ through salvation. Go to Revelation 19. It says, now after this, of course, we, we know what after this means, chapter 18, after 17 and 18, the, the two sections, Babylon, the, the, you know, they have the, the spiritual Babylon that's a prostitute, fake religion. And then that's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Then you have the political Babylon, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And you see the, the capital city of the world that the Antichrist rules from collapses is judged. You see that in Revelation 18. After this, by the way, some people think heaven's going to be like a quiet place. Just read chapter 19. Look at the word cry out, loud voice. I mean, it's going to be a noisy place because people are celebrating. I always think about football games and in the crowds, you know, thousands of people in a little bowl screaming and hollering like morons and nuts and not morons, that's a bad word. That's a Bible word, but that's not the right context for that because I've done that myself. But you know what I'm saying? You celebrate, yeah, I like a nut. I've acted like a nut there. And, and so that sound is just deafening. I, I think that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. So after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Hallelujah. Now, sometimes you see it hallelujah with an H, and sometimes you see it with an A, hallelujah. The hallelujah is from a Hebrew. It just means praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he, and they're celebrating this. We're celebrating this. This multitude in heaven are celebrating this. And, and again, let me just stop here. People that don't believe, and there's a reason why I'm saying it, don't believe in, a, in a, any kind of rapture. Who is this if there's not a rapture? If the dead in Christ don't rise and those of us alive and remain are not caught up in the air, who is this multitude in heaven? Okay? Because Christ hasn't come back yet. He comes back at the end of this, in the next part of the book, in chapter 19, the second half. Who are these people? They're not angels. So, so, so who populates, who's celebrating in worship? For his judgments are true and just. This is what they're celebrating. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. 
And, and that not all the time just mean the sexual immorality, just absolute anarchy, a world of anarchy. Of course, you know we're there. We're there. You thought, I thought we would never be where we are in my country that I love. But it is, it is bizarre. And, and there's other parts of the world that are even worse than we are. And you, it, it's hard to believe, but it is. And, and he has, a, so corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Now, as bad as it is, this isn't good English. But that ain't nothing that it's going to be like when the Antichrist is ruling. Okay, So that's what he's describing as the rule of the Antichrist in absolute. So he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. They corrupted the earth and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That means people that have been martyred. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, folks, we're not talking about hell here, but that is just a, a, a little reference to how long judgment lasts. How, how long is the smoke going to go up from her judgment? What does it say? Forever and ever. So, folks, let me just stop here. If you're here today, number one, you think God's going to make an exception for you, that you don't have to come God's way to salvation, and you think it's a game, Eternity is no gain without Christ. You with me? It is exactly what the Bible says it is. Christ said it's hell. Matter of fact, Jesus used that word more than anybody. Hell. So when it says, uh, the smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, and of course, we struggle with who they are. We think they represent the saved, especially the church. Because if And we read this morning in, in, in 1 Timothy who leads the church, the local church, is elders and overseers. And so you have elders that represent saved people. And so the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants. Huh, servants. Praise Him, you servants. You know, you're called as a saved person. We Again, I hate to bring up Sunday school. You're called as a Christian to work as servants in the church. That's what it says in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. To work, do the service of ministry. The word means not me, but it means service. The work of service. All his servants. Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, both small and great. The fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It's, 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 uh, this self-emptying, reverential all of who God is. We've lost that. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. I just love this. 
Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls. I know Bonnie has and others have. Uh, I have been to some waterfall. I've been to Nakalula. <laughs> and if you walk down, and if it's flowing heavy, you can't hear. I mean, if you're standing beside somebody, you've got to talk loud for them to hear what you're... So you can imagine, and I always think with the roar of a crowd, that it sounds like water when this crowd's roar. You know, you don't want to talk about it. I move on. It says, and, and like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt or exalt and give him glory. And folks, this is written now. This is, this is future. This is going to happen. And this amazes me. This is going to happen. We know it's true. Jesus promised it. He said this is his revelation. It's going to happen. But it's written now for us to read what's going to happen. Give him glory. Folks, we don't have to wait till we get there to give him glory. We should give him glory now. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, there's a great duality of, of this meeting. The, we're the bride. We're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and so the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. By the way, even in speaking about human marriage, okay, this is, this is interesting. Um, when Malachi, I'll just par I'll paraphrase it, but in Malachi, the prophet Malachi is told by God, he's talking about the unfaithfulness of Israel. And why did God marry Israel? And so then he asks a question about human marriage. This is Malachi 2.15. He says, he says to Malachi, Why did God make two people one flesh? Before that, he says, Why did he put his spirit in man? And then he says, Why, did, why does God, Malachi 2.15, make two one? And he answers it. To produce godly offspring. Now, if you're here today and you're married and you have children, have you ever thought that that's what the Bible says about your offspring? That saved parents are, are supposed to produce what? Godly? Because that's a picture of Christ and the church. We read that last week in Ephesians 5. Your goal is to produce godly offspring. That's what Christ does. He has godly offspring. Anyway, we move on. So the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Isn't it interesting? She's made herself, she's done the work of ministry. That we could go into a whole thing about this and how we're not talking about working for salvation, but we're working because we're saved. But she's made herself ready. So all the saints in the body of Christ, the church. Now think about the bride. He doesn't call individual saints well, he does, the worldwide, the church. But the local church is called the bride of Christ too. So we've all been part of building up the body of Christ. We've all been part of making ourselves ready to meet Christ. What, think about what you're doing. What are you doing right now 
as the bride of Christ to prepare to meet Him. In everything you're supposed to be doing, the context is in the church. It all comes back to the church because your growth is for the church to build up the body of Christ. We just studied that in Sunday school. The bride of Christ. Is, so the marriage of the Lamb has come and her bride. And then he says, look, that's, but then it says, it was granted her. So your works aren't going to get you there, right? It's not. It was granted her to, be clo- to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It was grant- That's a gift. So we're in heaven because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us our wedding gown, right? Bright and clean. But we enhance that by our works. It's just what he's talking about. Then he says, he explains that. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the quality and all that's going to be... Let's keep reading. I'm, I'm going to run out of time. So it says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed... Now, you may have never understood this, or you read it, but it just passes you by because it's just one of those passages. It says, and, and the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must, because he's an angel, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and, and your brothers and, and who hold the testimony of Jesus. He says you're supposed to worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Anytime you talk about Christ, included in that is he's coming back. He's coming back to reward the saints and to judge sinners. You just can't get away from that. That's what that verse means. But, but it, are you looking at your Bibles? Who is it that's invited? It says, and the angel said to me. So the angel says to John, right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, when you got married, did you personally get your own invitation? No. You send invitations to people that aren't you. So scholars talk about this. Who is this? Now, I'm honest. It could be just a euphemism for the bride. Could be. I'm not denying that. However, you would have to admit there's great argument here that we're talking about another group of people besides the church. Now, what I mean by the bride Everybody saved since the birth of the church, that, that group of believers from Pentecost to the day Jesus raptures the church, that group of people is called the bride of Christ. That's who they're... Now, so if there's another group invited to the supper, they're not the bride as such. You with me? But they're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those that are invited. They're not the bride. That's... Okay, they're not part of the New Testament church saved people. But there's Old Testament saints, right? Right? Yeah. And there's angels, right? And there's other created beings. We, you know, they're not even necessarily angels. They're, you know, they're part of the church, the holy council of God, the, the heavenly council. We, we don't, it doesn't describe exactly. Are the scriptures describing those groups of, I don't know. But he just says, blessed are those that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Folks, this, 
This is, this is the celebration that we're waiting on. Now, we've got six minutes. Number one, the, when you think about salvation and you think about a marriage, and I'm just using Jewish history, and, and by the way, there's seven stages of a, Jewish, a traditional Jewish marriage, and from what I read, I'm going to use four. We don't have time for seven. Four, number one, is that the father, the, the father chose the bride for the son. You with me? The father would choose the bride for his own son. Now, Robbie just read a passage in, in 1 Peter that talks about this guaranteed inheritance that's a gift from the father. But, but let me read you Genesis 2.22. Remember it says, God made the woman. Maybe took a rib out of Adam. This is Genesis 2. And God brought, brought the woman to the man. You with me? God the Father brought the woman and gave him to the man. That's exactly. And do you know what Jesus says in John 6, 37? He says, all that the Father gives me are going to come to me. And all that come to me, I'm not going to reject. Because the Father has sent them. This is the same thing when Jesus says, hey, you didn't call me, I called you. So, so when we think about the marriage, so the Father, it, this is why the first, the first mention of the gospel, well, not the first, several times in the New Testament, it's called the gospel of God. This is God's salvation. This was God's plan of salvation. And we read last week on, at the Lamb's Book of Life before, that this whole plan, right, was when? Was it the last minute? No. Was it after Moses and, or was it after Abraham? When? No. When did God plan salvation through Christ? Before the what? foundation of the world so it's the father so the first step was the father would choose the bride for his son and and then the you know then the then the son's going to secure him so that was the first thing i'm going to have to read it father elects and chooses the bride for the son number two once the bride was chosen then the bride the bridegroom or the husband to be would pay a price okay so, so what would happen is is that this would be, today we might even call it a dowry, uh, but but the 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 groom the groom to be would pay a price to the father of the bride to purchase her, so to speak. Right? He wasn't buying her, but he was showing her worth. Right? So so the groom would pay for the bride. He would take a. He would take a gifts or gifts and he would give them to the father of the bride as showing the value of his. And, of course, that was logical because the dad was fixing to lose a, a, a daughter from the family, a worker. So, so the husband-to-be would bring gifts. Do you know what the Bible says? He's given us his Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1 and 2 calls the Holy Spirit the engagement ring of our salvation. Exact word, Erebon, which was an engagement ring. So when God saved us, when we got saved, the Father saves us, gives us to the Son, and the Son seals us by giving us His Holy Spirit. Now, He not only gives us His Holy Spirit, but you can read Ephesians 4, and He gives us other gifts, right? Or read Romans 12 or 2 Corinthians 12. He gives us more gifts than spiritual gifts. So He saves us, and He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He seals us by His engagement ring, but He, continu- but he continues to give us gift after gift, 
Because that's part of our salvation. So quickly, I've got to get there. Father chooses, gives the bride to the son. The son saves him. Number two, the bride, the bride price, it's called the bride price, is paid from the groom-to-be to the family of the bride. And so that's what Jesus has done when he saved us. Now, at that point, they're considered engaged. Okay, there's a covenant that cannot, it can't, matter of fact, if this is why, okay, you remember when Joseph, so the moment the hut, the bride, the groom to be goes and he gives the gift, the pr- price, okay, that covenant cannot be broken except through a divorce. Because if you'll remember, Mary and Joseph had never consummated, they were betrothed. And remember, when he found out she was with child, he considered, before the angel showed up, he considered to write her a certificate of what? Divorce. Because see, it was, a, it was binding. So the moment you and I are saved, we are secure for it. This is God's covenant of salvation. It's what God does to save us. So just like in, in our day, I mean, the engagement's a little bit different. But that moment in Jewish weddings... You were saved. Now, the the fourth thing that would happen, you can look this up, it's interesting, was a ketubah. You don't care about the word. But when all this took place, not only did the, the husband and, and father of the the groom and the groom bring gifts, and and now this they're legally bound together, except they're not going to consummate it. You and I are bound to Christ, and it just hasn't been consummated yet. We haven't met him face to face. Then, besides that, then the ketubah was a, was a document that the groom would give to the bride that was all the promises that he would do for her. It's called a ketubah, K-E-T-U-B-A-H, I think is how you spell it, a ketubah. And he would list out all the things he would do for her, how he would love her, how he would care for her, how he would provide for her, how he would protect her, how he would secure her. He would write down this document and all these promises that he would make to his bride. Now, do we have a document like that? It's called the Bible, where God makes all of these incredible promises to those that he has saved because we are the bride of Christ. Folks, our salvation is secure because of what Christ has done on Calvary's tree. Our salvation is secure because he saved us from our sins. Let me read this one final. Well, go. Uh, I'm out of time, but go to Ephesians 5. Robbie read this last week, but I do want to read. Uh, by the way, John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. So Ephesians 5, and we'll finish with this. We're out of time, but Ephesians 5. This whole thing is about marriage and and uh, just pick up at verse 25. I believe this is where Robbie uh, read last week. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now see again, of course, this is the longest passage about this relationship. Just as we get married, the Bible says clearly that, that Christ is the bridegroom. So everybody that has ever been saved since the cross or part of the bride of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now, I'm just going to stop here, okay? So that he might present 
her present the church to himself in splendor. Now, think about a wedding. Normally, in a wedding, the, the father of the bride brings the bride down and he gives the bride to the bridegroom, right? But Christ controls so much of salvation, verse 27 says, that he presents his bride to himself. Of course, it's talking about the Trinity now. God the Father, God. They're all three in one. So he says he presents the church to himself. He makes sure that her salvation, her the relationship he has, is controlled by nobody but him. He presents the church to himself. And if you go in and read that, it's a bride that's splendorous, without spot and wrinkle or any such thing. So Christ makes sure that his bride is pure. The reason we get to heaven is because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. Because we do have a white gown. We have, we have a gown of fine linen that's been imputed to us because Christ has died for our sins. That's why we get there. But we enhance, that, we enhance the attire that we have there because of our righteous acts on this earth. Let me read one more verse. I love this. This is Jeremiah 2.32. We'll close with this. Jeremiah 2.32. Now this is God speaking to the Old Testament saints because they had disobeyed Him. Makes application to you and I. Here it is. Jeremiah 2.32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride forget her wedding dress? Is it possible? Really it says a wedding attire or wedding ornaments. Does a bride forget her wedding dress? Or does a bride forget all the trappings that she's going to wear or has worn for a wedding? Does she forget that? Does she go to the wedding without a dress? And of course not. But then he, Jeremiah says, Yet my people, because see he's married to Israel, Yet my people have forgotten me day after day after day. And folks, that was true for Israel, but the Bible says that's true for me. How in the world would I want to, to mock or deny or disobey the very one that has saved me from my sins and calls himself my bridegroom? And he says, I'm to be a pure, righteous, virgin bride because of his grace and mercy that's been shed upon me. God's good. Amen? Amen. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's stand together. Thank you for being here. Let's pray together. Mr. Wade Nobles is going to dismiss us with a word of prayer. Brother Wade, if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the word that we've just gotten from 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 our preacher, Lord, and we just thank you for all that you do for us. And, and Lord, we just uh, pray that you will make us worthy and uh, bring us back at the appointed time, Lord, that, that we may learn more from you. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.